0: series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber.
1: Okay, tonight we add another key and that's the key of giving. Remember it's all the same house and that's the design God has for your marriage. So and really if you think about it, all of these work together. They just bleed into each other. It's not it's not like you do eight different things. It's like you just surrender and all these things take place. But we're we're pulling back and we're looking at them and seeing what they say. Now, uh, let me draw one more time for you. The triangle, okay? You got it? (laughs) Okay, remember God's here, you're here, your spouse is here, okay? And you don't live for each other. If you do, your unfulfilled expectations are going to blow out the top. You live as a vessel for Christ, and what He does, manifesting His character and presence through you, Draws you near and near as you draw near to him. So that's what we've been talking about the whole session. And you'll see in the next week's homework (coughs) that there are some things about the roles of a husband and a wife. We finally got around to it. We're not even going to mention them next week, but they are there. So I just wanted to make sure you didn't leave this class and think that there's nothing else you're supposed to do. (laughs) But if all these things are in order, then everything else takes its place. We're laying the foundation, basically, of what we're doing, the pillars that hold everything up. So I'm going to talk tonight. in 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 your homework, you did 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. There's no way I can cover all of that, and I'm going to try to. What I'm going to do is go to 2 Corinthians 8 and only focus on the first five verses. And I want to talk about the miracle of grace giving. Now, before we even get into this, you have got to understand what I mean by giving. To Diana and I, when I say giving, I'm already assuming the tithe. The tithe to me is not giving. The tithe is a response. It's a reflex back to honor the Lord. See, people say that it's legalistic to tithe. That's the age-old argument. It's been around for 100 years. And they say, no, it's, it's under law. We're not under law. We're under grace. Wait a minute. Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, who I think was a theophany. It was, a, it was Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, we'll argue about that till we see him, and we'll say, Oh, I didn't know that. But he gave him tithes 400-plus years before there was a law and before there was even an Israel. So don't use that argument with me. It won't hold water. It goes back to the one. Remember, he he met him in that valley, and he paid tithes to him and honored by him. And just a couple chapters later, here's God cutting covenant with him unilaterally which is the grace covenant reinstituted to Israel when they were under the law, and then Christ being the answer to both of them, which is the seed that was promised to come. So I look at t- giving way far beyond tithing. The first six tithes that God ever put under the law were taxes. Did y'all know that? You say taxation's got to be evil. Well, I talked to God about this because He said you don't have any option here. You're going to let the priest minister to you? Take care of them. You like this tabernacle? You like this temple? Take care of it. And so this is what, for instance, we live in Albuquerque, okay? We pay taxes, and nobody likes to pay them. I'm personally grateful that we can. You know why? Because if I have a problem in my house, I can call a policeman. Who pays for that? Those taxes. If I have a fire, I can call a fireman also i get to ride down here on paved roads. well what do you know about that you haven't been to uganda have you 10 hours by bus on a washboard dirt road at sally and Frank been. it's it's not a fun time but thank the lord we we can pay taxes taxes so really it's not a matter of legalism when it comes to the tithe it's a matter of the pictures right there i walked like i said i walked up to this church tonight and i'm thinking this is a large church, because <laughs> I always come in the corner and never think about it. It's a big, we, it takes care of what goes on here. That's, that's just basic. The giving is where the joy is. That's over and above that. And so I want you to know when I say giving, miraculous grace giving, it's over and above that. And there's a lot of folks that, that probably aren't giving right now that may hear this. Maybe you're in here. This is not in any way to condemn anybody. Uh, listen, if you're going to start somewhere, start with the tithe. Try it. But, and don't worry about the giving part. He'll lead you to that. If you want to start somewhere, that's a great place to start. And Diana, have, Diana and I have a lot a great testimony about how God led us that way. Because it took me for years to understand this. But that's what 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5 helps us to see. And I don't want us to look at it. Okay, the Apostle Paul is sitting in chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians. He says, we urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain says the same thing in Galatians 2.21. He's talking about those who get so excited about Jesus coming into their lives, they forget all about letting Jesus live through their lives. <laughs> you have a lot of people that love revival, and they think of revival as people getting saved. And by the way, that's not what revival is. Revival is, a, you can't revive something that's dead. <laughs> it's people that know Christ, and they begin to live like they know him, And then the result of revival is people getting saved. That's the way it works. But a lot of people still are so excited about him coming into their life, they've never gone past that. About how do you allow him to live through your life? They haven't learned the lessons of dying. (laughs) Does this this sound familiar? Growing in God's word. Trusting. Releasing the Christ that's in you. And experiencing his love. See, until that comes, then you, you don't quite... You can't wrap your arms around that. So let's rehearse what Christ has done, just to make sure that everybody understands that this is the whole basis of why we put the triangle there. You can't, God never said you could, he can and he always said he would. And the reason Christ came to live in us is because he's the only one that can live the Christian life. <laughs> There's a lot of people who still think they're doing it, but hang with them for a while and be a fly on the wall and you'll see how far short they fall. No one has ever lived the Christian life but Christ. Christ comes to live in us so he can live that life through us. What he demands from us, he lives within us to enable. For a believer to think that he can live the Christian life in his own strength and ability, then he has received the grace of God in vain. Now, Galatians 2.20, Paul said, it's not me, but it's what? Christ. Christ does what? Lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 21, I do not frustrate the enabling, transforming, that's what grace is. I doesn't say name, The grace of God for, he says, if righteousness comes by the law, if this is the way you do it and you've got a list and you can, you can earn your way up, then Christ died in vain. Why does he need to come to live in us anyway? If we can do it ourselves. So we've got to understand what he's talking about here. Remember, 2 Corinthians is different from 1 Corinthians because in 2 Corinthians, it had been sort of a revival. Titus took that third letter wherever it went. Some people think that is 1 Corinthians, but I believe there was a third letter we don't have. And they, they responded. And now he's able, to, starting back in chapter 2, and then 3, and 4, and 5, he brings them back now. Okay, now let's talk about the Christian life. Let's talk about what grace is. Let's talk about Christ living. In you. Remember he made the statement that the glory never comes to us, but it always goes back to him. So Christ is the grace of God. If you want to know what the grace of God is, he's the embodiment of the grace of God. He is the divine enabler of all the demands in our life. When we live allowing Christ to be our life, it's going to show up in our relationships. and That's what we've been trying to say. That's when the marriage suddenly takes on a different dimension. You see each other differently. The love that's required of all of us, we we desperately need for it, is now produced by the Spirit that lives within us, the very thing we've been looking for. He begins to make happen in our marriage. So in chapter 8, Paul is going to show us that one of the results of the grace of God, there are so many results. No fear of death in chapter 5 of Second Corinthians. The joy of the journey in chapter 2. In chapter 4, when you're in the midst of worse situations, there's a treasure within you. But there's another result of God's grace, Christ in you, living through you. And he wants them to see that that's giving. Giving is where, if you don't start with giving, this is where you're going to end up. When all these things begin to be seen. In your life Now, the church of Corinth had obviously done nothing about a request. Paul had made it in 1 Corinthians, I think in 16. He said, there's, an, uh, there's a bunch of poor folks over here in Judea, and there's been a famine, and we're going to take up an offering. And we're going to all the churches. Well, the church of Corinth knew about this, but hadn't done one single thing about it. So he just conveniently brings it up again. <laughs> now that Christ is doing a work in their hearts, maybe now they can receive what he's trying to say. But in so doing... What we're going to see is that giving is a result of, of, of when it's a result of grace, but it's when selfless living begins to take place, it's the result of that. It'll land right there. It's the landing field. It's going to land right there. You don't have to ever coerce anybody to give who's living up under the lordship of Christ and allowing Christ to be who he is in their life. And I know what you're thinking. How does this affect my marriage? You've got to stay with me all the way to the last point. And I set you up for that. <laughs> you're going to see by the time we finish. Giving is not an investment program, as some people say. Boy, if you'll give this, God will give this back to you. The guy on television that makes me want to throw a wrench through it, and he says, sow a seed. You give a hundred dollars, and God will give you a thousand dollars. No, you're just going to be broke. It's what's going to happen. Because this is not what we're talking about. If you ever hear giving and think that's what we're talking about, boy, have you ever missed it? And it's not a guilt trip. If you have to be guilted into giving, then it's, what you give is no, not worth anything anyway. So it's not about that. So get that out of your mind. Just sort of clear the cobwebs of what you think when somebody mentions giving. And let's just see what Paul says that it is. It's when self has got to be dethroned before this kind of giving can ever take place in your life. It will not take place any other time. That's why one of the reasons I don't hammer people when we're down in our budget or whatever, because you, you can't do that. That's not the kind of giving we're talking about. It's got to be the Spirit of God leading you and all that self-desires to this place. In fact, there's no way a person can say he's allowing Christ to live through him and be stingy and greedy and self-centered at the same time. Can't do it. It's, a, it's an oxymoron. It will not fly. Living grace is giving grace. And so, for Paul to bring up giving to the Corinthians, the richest church in the New Testament, <laughs> might help us to understand some things about us tonight. It really fits the Christian life. You, again, you're saying, what about marriage? <laughs> we'll get there. First of all, three things. And I do only do three things because it's the easiest to remember. First of all, Giving is an act, grace-giving is an act of God's grace working in our lives. We've already said that, now let me show it to you. In verse 1 and 2, 2 Corinthians 8. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, watch, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Now, what is this illustration of the grace of God that's been given to the churches of Macedonia? That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Now, what he's doing here is so unique. He contrasts a a stingy, greedy Corinthian church, by the way, which was divided, by the way, which adulterous affairs were going on everywhere in the church, which, by the way, all these things that you talk about of the problems of marriage were evident in Corinth, okay? So what he's going to do is compare their stinginess, and they had the money with the selfless giving of the Macedonian churches. He says, we wish to make known to you. The word known means you would have never known this had I not been writing to you. You just won't get it. They're not going to tell you about it. There's no newspaper article written about it, but I'm going to tell you about it because I want you to see something. He wants them to realize that giving is a consequence of Christ living in and through the believer's life. So he says in verse 1, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given and the churches of Macedonia now if you think about the churches of Macedonia there are three of them that paul started and they were philippi I remember that was his first trip to macedonia when he had the macedonian vision and he went over from troas and then it was thessalonica i've been to all these places and then berea matter of fact i was over there with an associate one time when i was in chattanooga and he said where are you going to be preaching and i said i'm going to be preaching in thessalonica he said well i said where are you preaching they we're both preaching He said, I'm going to be over in Berea. (laughs) And I said, okay, I'll pray for you. You pray for me. We turned and walked about two steps. And both of us turned around and said, boy, that sounds like Paul and Timothy or something. You know, we were right there. And didn't even think about it until we said it. And so God had done a real work. And these three churches, now these are the poorest of all the churches you can find in the New Testament. Corinth is the richest. Now I want you to see what he says here. God had done a work in their generous giving, not just giving, their generous giving. Paul says, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given to the churches of Macedonia. Now, how was it illustrated? Verse 2, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Now, let me walk you through that. It wasn't just their giving. Now, here's, here's the key. It was their giving in the midst of of the worst situation you can possibly imagine. When Paul says in a great ordeal of affliction, he's describing the worst of times. Where are we living right now? <laughs> What's going on in our world around us? Now, our fleshly minds tell us that people don't give when times are hard, and you're exactly right, unless they're allowing Christ to be who he is in their life. As a matter of fact, the night we show you that DVD, you're going to see why you know that he's can take care of it. The, world's, the word great is the word uh, that means a great number. So he's not talking about one trial or another trial. He's talking about pressures that are coming at them from every single angle. The word ordeal is a word for test, and it refers to a severe test in which someone passes the test and proves himself to be genuine. We talked about this when we looked at uh, trusting in the trials that we have in James. The word affliction there, have you ever... If you watch cable news of any kind, and I love Fox, but I'm telling you, you watch any of them. But when you, hunt, when you turn it off, you just want to go out in the backyard and bury your head. Because it is not good. I'm, it's all over. As far as, if the word affliction means it's, it's like you're being pressed from every side. And you can't stand anymore. That's the word of affliction. Now, so in a great ordeal of affliction, <laughs> this is what's going on in their life. He said, in the the midst of terrible times, they gave to the needs of others, which is the bottom line of what giving is. Their giving stands in contrast to that fleshly-minded church in Corinth that got all they could, canned all they got, sit on the can, poisoned the rest. (laughs) Give, bless God, nobody's going to give my money. I saved this stuff up, I'm going to buy me a motorhome see America. That's in Hesitations, chapter 14, verse 3. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in their wealth of liberality. It says their abundance of joy. (laughs) These are not sad people. These are not people you said, come on, people, let's get with the program. Man, they're way ahead of Paul. Tough times had brought them to the point of total destitute poverty. And probably what's going on here from every historical account I can find that was persecution And what's happening, you know how they persecuted people. You get fired from your job, then they won't hire you back anyplace else. And then they go to the store with what little money they have, and they won't let you buy anything. Sounds kind of like what's coming in the scriptures, doesn't it, in the last days of buying and selling and those types of things. The word poverty is the word, there's two words for poverty. One is, well, I'm down, but I'm not out. That's not the word. The word tokia means total destitution. I cannot help myself. I, I, guy, guys are in a, these guys are in a place that they can't dig themselves out of. There's no possible way. Now, if you were talking about the Corinthian church giving, that's one thing. This church is in Macedonia. Uh, in the midst of it, they gave out of the abundance of God's goodness in their hearts. It says that in a, joy, in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. The word overflowed means it, it just, <laughs> it's a flood. It, just, it, didn't just meet, it didn't just meet the standard of what maybe they were asked or thought about doing. It went far beyond. It, it means to be in excess of even what's needed. The word wealth here, it says it, in their deep poverty, overflowed in the wealth of their liberality, doesn't refer to riches. What it's talking about is the abundance of something, and that's the abundance of God's goodness in their hearts. This is just fun to to think about this. Remember, these are folks that now, they heard Paul's message, not like the church of Corinth who had everything. They heard. It's kind of like the mission field today. You go places that they don't have everything we have, they hear you the first time. But it's like you have to keep repeating it over here, that which somehow it doesn't com- compute. The word liberality is the word that means, now listen to this, without any double motive, no strings attached. Isn't that awesome? In other words, they didn't uh, manipulate others with their giving. See, I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying. Grace giving is a miracle because there are people who manipulate with their giving, they manipulate churches, they manipulate families. No, we don't manipulate families, Wayne. Really? Is that why you gave your wife an extra $100 to go to the mall? Because you wanted to go fishing the next two days. Oh, I see. That's not manipulation. I'm sorry. It may be something else. You see, we use money to manipulate. That's, that's one of the biggest things that manipulates people. is either by giving or, or, or hurting, one or the other. It'll go either way. Paul's overwhelmed at the generosity of these impos- positive, impoverished get it out, believers in Macedonia. Their giving was such that it was beyond what was needed. They gave with no strings attached. Paul wanted the church of Corinth to see what grace giving really was. It was really a part of their stewardship of their life. They understood it. Somehow, grace giving is a product of God's grace working in the hearts of his people. We were over in uh, somewhere, Vienna, Austria, Switzerland, somewhere, and we were doing one of the conferences that we were doing. an International Congress for Revival went everywhere. <laughs> remember one night we were in Vienna. They have six-foot door uh, steel frames. Instead of 6'7". And I was late running to supper. And I just took off just charging down the hall. And that thing caught me about right there. And it knocked me, almost completely knocked me out. I blanked out just for a second. It really wiped me out. And so that was Vienna. So I don't know where we were. But that revival team went to Vienna, to Eastern Europe. It went to Australia, like I said. So I don't know where it was. But wherever we were, the Kosovo was going on. The war in Kosovo. Well, remember, when these wars strike these countries, there are some believers in those countries. And so the believers that were there, we had them from, we had five booths of translators: uh, Hungarian, German, Russian, Romanian. And the Romanians, the poorest of the whole bunch, came up to us and said, We want to take up an offering for our believer friends that are over in Kosovo. Because we have family over there, we have friends over there, and there's a church that is alive and well over there. Can we do that? Well, we got up in front of them. We have all these Americans. By the way, do you know how every every one of us there were rich, including me? You know why? If you have change in your pocket and you have a roof over your head and you had a supper meal tonight, you're a part of the 6% of the richest people in the world. Didn't know if you knew that or not. Well, our people were thinking about, well, I don't know. I got 50 bucks. Maybe I can give because I got 700. I got to buy some souvenirs before I go. (laughs) Well, anyway, the Romanians, little Romanians, We watched them. They would reach in their pockets and pull out everything they had to where you could see the pocket hanging out. And they gave everything they had in that offering. And I will never forget it. That's exactly the way these Macedonians were. God's grace. And if you ever want to know where revival is going to come in Eastern Europe, it'll come out of Romania. Not Russia and not some of these other countries, because these are the countries that are sending the evangelists out. There, there's folks right now from Bucharest that are in Siberia. They're all over the world. They're going out because they caught the message. They, they were the most persecuted. It's one thing to be in a Catholic-dominated country over there, and this is no affront to anything, and a Greek Orthodox. It's huge difference, because on, the, on, the, on that Orthodox side, they sided with the communist. And it was double trouble with those countries. Uh, whereas, I won't go any further with that because I don't want somebody to sound like I'm trying to bash you. I'm not. I'm just telling you where it was. But that's, that's exactly the way the churches of Macedonia was. So it's a, not a result of guilt. It's not a result of manipulation. It's not a result of anything like that. It was a result. He said the grace of God has been given to the churches over there. How do we know that? In the midst of the worst times in the world, open-handed, selfless, and willing to give. And if we remove giving from what it means to walk in the fullness of Christ, we have truly missed it. Because that's one of the... God so loved the world... That he hoarded everything he had created. No, that he what? Gave. And look what it cost him. He's the only begotten son. And Where does he live? He lives in us. Okay, secondly, grace giving defies human logic. <laughs> there's just no way, to, there's no way to explain it to the world. If, you, if we were being interviewed on one of these n- news programs, they'd look at us and laugh us out of the place. Okay? Verse 3. For I testify that according to their ability... And beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. That's an incredible verse. Paul presents himself as if he's standing before a tribunal and giving his own trial. And he said, all right, buddy, I'm going to be a witness of what giving truly is. I want you to see what grace giving is. Now, come up here, right here, churches of Macedonia, and I want to explain this to you. That's, that's the word that, that he, when he says, I testify, it's the word of a witness on a stand in a trial. The poor Macedonians were, were living examples for us all of how God's grace works in his people to give and make us sensitive to the needs of others. Remember, grace giving. I do not equate with tithing. To me, tithing, that's, I have to understand where I'm going with this so that you understand grace giving. Grace giving is far beyond that. It's when you start seeing the needs of others and you don't have a record of it and you can't even get a deduction for it. It's amazing. It just comes out of your heart. It's something you do. You don't care who knows about it. You'd rather them not know about it. That's why Paul had to tell these people because nobody else would have told them. Paul says that according to their ability they gave. Word ability means what they were able to do. Now, if he had stopped right there, somebody, I guarantee you're sitting in here saying, well, big deal, whooping deal. I can give what I can give. Right now, I can't give very much. You'd be right. Well, basically, you'd be wrong. I say to the person who says, well, big deal if I gave what they were able. Do you realize if Christians worldwide today gave what they were only able, we'd never have a need for any missions, project, or, or mission venture. Ever. That's how little. I think there's like 2% of all the believers in America, something like way low like that, tithe. So that's just, I'm just trying to tell you if you're going to talk about this triangle and you're going to talk about grace, you've got to fit, factor this in. Well, what does it mean to my marriage? Hang on, I'm getting there. In the Christian world today, it, it's just a sad situation. You see, even simply giving according to one's ability as a believer and God's grace working in him, that, that, that'd be good. But they didn't just do that. Look what he says. I testify that according to their ability and what? Beyond their ability they gave. The word beyond is the word which means over and above what they were able to do. When God's grace is working in a believer's life, it's overwhelming how that person will give. It's just that's the way it happened. Now, this is stunning to the lost world. That's why Paul is as if he's on trial here. By bringing up giving to this rich church in Corinth. uh They can't understand it. But this kind of giving is simply the consequence of the stewardship of one's life towards God. And I can hear somebody. I I just can hear it because I think Paul heard it. And they're saying, yeah, I guarantee you one thing. They were pressured to do it. That was a guilt thing. That was a guilt trip all the way. They gave that money because they feared not to give. Well, I think Paul expected that. For I testify that according to their ability, beyond their ability, they gave, now look what he says, I didn't write this, of their, what? Own accord. They gave of their own accord. Paul means that no one, including Paul, coerced them to do what they did. Well, I, would that be something else? And they even begged to give more, I'm thinking, whoa, for the day, we'll ever see that. In fact, Paul shows how Christ was behind all of this. He said, look in verse 4, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation. In what? In the support of the saints. And uh, we live in the 21st century. Someone said a long time ago, we live such subnormal lives. We see something that's normal, and we think it's abnormal. Because we've measured ourselves by what everybody's doing. So many believers do not live yielded to Christ. They have fallen into the trap. Now here we go. We're We're beginning to move our way toward the marriage here. It's the greed trap. It's the, I want I want this and I want that trap. It's the it's the American trap, really. Grace-giving is a passion to those who love Christ and seek to walk with Him. I talk many times about what God did when I was in Chattanooga, and I don't know why He did it, and I don't know. I, I, I think sometimes I was guilty when I first came here of trying to, to replicate it, but you can't do that. God just does what He does when He chooses to do it. There was a church there that went over, over they just went out of, they received the message of grace. It was incredible what happened there. Well, as a result of it, they started they started giving. We had a we had a need, and we just threw it out. People started bringing boats. <laughs> I'm thinking, parking in my driveway. They started bringing uh, cars. I never forget this as long. One guy it was an evangelist. This guy that was uh, I was telling you about was in the movie uh, Fireproof. Somebody had given him a diamond ring in a, wedding, in a, in a meeting he was doing, because he's, he's booked every all over the United States, and a $10,000 diamond ring that he gave to his wife. And when we started giving, everybody just started cutting loose. It was just amazing. In fact, we couldn't keep up with it. We didn't know what to do with it once they'd given it to us. It was like, hey, I'll tell you what. Instead of us going out and selling it, and did, you do that and bring the cash back. We had stuff everywhere. And one day he walked forward, and he said, he handed it, and he said, I want to give this to, to what we were doing at that time in the church. I think, good, 9-11. So I got up at the offering time, and I said, does anybody in here want to buy this ring for $10,000? I'm thinking, right. <laughs> I'm thinking, uh, and the, it was a guy standing right there. He was an usher. He said, I'll buy it. You ought to hear his accent. He's, he's, in, he's, in, he's outside of Atlanta, Georgia right now. I'll buy it. He had that high-pitched, southern, southern accent. I'll buy it. <laughs> and I looked right over him. I said, forget this. He, at the time, he was selling his business and wasn't even working. And I'm thinking, right. I said, anybody want to buy it? I'll buy it. And I said, Does anybody want to buy it? I'll buy it. I'm thinking, well, Raymond, I, I, all right. And he bought that. And it was like, it was that, it was that let me give some more. Let me, let me do some, some more. It was like, I've never seen anything like this in my entire life. I've never seen people give and literally, like he says here, beg to give more. I've never seen that before or since. It's amazing quality of what God does in people's hearts. You say, Wayne, this has nothing to do with my marriage. Really. Finally, giving is God's grace working in our lives. Grace giving which I believe is far beyond tithing. It meeting the needs of, uh, is, it, it it defies human logic. And finally, grace giving is not possible until one is fully surrendered to Christ. Verse five. Look what he says. He said, "And this, not as we expected." You know, sometimes people can just wipe a pastor out. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul, and he was saying, "Whoa, I didn't expect this." He, he knew the limited resources these people had. He's telling this to the Corinthians now. As if he's on trial, trying to help them understand what's going on. This is not what we expected, Paul said. He realized that this kind of gracious, generous giving was the result of surrendered believers living under the Lordship of Christ. Paul knew that a believer does not begin with giving his money. He doesn't start there. He begins by giving himself fully to Christ. Watch what he says. And this, not as we expected... But they first, before they ever gave a dime, they first gave themselves, what? To the Lord. Now let me me explain that. When you give yourself to the Lord, there are no strings attached to a savings account. There's no strings. And you say, Wayne, that's got nothing to do. You're you're just trying to. No, I'm not trying to tell you something. I'm trying to tell you something. When you come abandoned to Christ, he owns everything. Because I... If the word Lord means what it says it means, it means now he owns everything. Lock, stock, and barrel. He doesn't rent a room in your life. He owns a house. And he comes in not to take sides, but to take over. He's Lord of everything. And so you can't talk about grace giving to somebody who hasn't first given themselves to the Lord. You can't do it. That's why believing, dying, all the things we've looked at are so important before you ever talk about, about giving. Paul says... But they first gave themselves to the Lord. Now, when a believer gives himself to the Lord, like I said, he gives all, including his money. Uh, we don't own anything. Uh, isn't it great when we think of ourselves, I've got so much money in my, in my billfold. Ooh, that's a 20. And you, I've, got, I've got this money. It's in my money clip. It's in my pocket. And God says, excuse me? You're what? You don't own a thing. That's not your billfold. That's not your money. That's mine. Remember, you sold out to me. You committed yourself to me and received all of me into you. So, it's His money from start. Okay. The word Lord here is used to illustrate His sovereign rule over all we have and all that we are. Now, giving is never an emotional reaction. So make sure to a need. That's not what giving is. Uh, it's not a gamble that you'll get something back. That's not what giving is. It's the heart of God in you. It sees a need in a brother that responds without any strings attached. Now, however, that works itself out, you'll have to fill in the blanks. Giving is a response to the lordship of Christ who lives in you and owns everything that you have. Philippians says that Christ lives in us to will and to work. So His desire to give, which is what He is, is His desire. Is His desire and the resource that He demands. Is his to begin with. Remember if you study 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he gives you the seed. He gives the seed to the sower. (laughs) He's the one who made the seed. And he gives it to the sower to sow. And that corn on the cob, man, you, you sow one little old corn seed. And boy, does it ever produce when it comes back. And you always learn, once it's grace giving, it's giving to get so that you can give again. Never giving to get so that you can hoard it and not give it away. It's always got to be handled that way perfect love which is absolute obedience to his will and command will cast out any fear you have of this so I can't it's not like you can have a class and teach people how to give no sir you teach people how to walk with God and the giving will flow right out of it because it'll cast out all fear when God says it you do it you say, well, how could they listen to God's man? And this is Paul, a man, who Romans 7 says, Wretched man than I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? There's no good thing that dwells in my flesh. Struggle just like the rest of us. How could they listen to a man who told them where the need was so that they could give? How could they trust a man? You can't trust a man. You cannot trust a man. But he says, and this not as we expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. Once you've given yourselves to the Lord, you're not going to worry about man. Good grief. There was a particular individual that came one time when I first came here. Matter of fact, it was right here. This is right here. <laughs> and I preached on the peace that passes all understanding. Remember the peace of God in Philippians? And we were on that passage. I did Philippians when I first came. And uh, that's when we lost all those people. I'm thinking, good grief, I can, I can realize you lose them in Leviticus, but Philippians? And this woman, this woman came down the aisle, and she had smoke coming out of her ear. I was thinking, ooh, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. And she got up in bush, because I always liked the fact that he talked about Jesus Christ, not just God. He didn't make it generic. He said, Jesus Christ is my Lord. Now, he might have done a ton of everything wrong or right. I'm not saying that one way or the other. I'm just saying I liked him because of his stand. He was unashamed to say that. I had a friend of mine who worked in the White House and went to a Bible study with him every Thursday and said, you're talking about somebody that's real. So anyway, that's what I said in the service. I wasn't being political. Are you kidding? We're in God's party. We're not in Republican or Democrat. We vote God. I wish people could get that through their thick heads. If it's a Democrat, fine with me, as long as he does what he says he's going to do and honors God. That's what we try to do. Well, anyway, this lady come she walked up to me just, just, just that wonderful countenance of walking with God. <laughs> she said, you, 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 you ruined my peace. You stole my peace this morning. I said, what? She said, I'm a Pennsylvania Democrat, whatever that is. I don't know. If, I guess there are Democrats in Pennsylvania. She said, and I'm proud of it. And you took my peace away from me this morning. You talk about peace something snapped in me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's a part of me, there's a part of me you don't know. And it's just like, you can push me and push me and push me, but you get me to a certain place and something happens. Not often, but it does. And I looked at her, and I said, wait just a minute. And I started walking towards her, she started backing up. And I'm thinking, I got her. And I said, I said, Oh, I ask you a question. I say, if you told me I took your peace away from you this morning, come on and be truthful with everybody. Just tell us you didn't have any peace when you walked in here, did you? And she said, I said, come on, tell me. If I can take your peace away from you, you didn't have much to start with. Because nobody can take that away from you that God says is rightfully yours in him. You can choose not to walk in it, but nobody can take it from you. And I backed her all the way back to that big old aisle between the last two sections. And... Finally, God said, that's probably enough (laughs) one. Once you're given to the Lord, there's no fear. There's no fear. If your leadership stands up in front of you, some of you go to different churches. When your leadership stands up in front of you and say they've prayed about something, you can trust not them, but you can trust the Christ in them. And money's not this big issue that we make out of it. No, 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 no. Money's just one of the things we give, but that's the litmus test because that's the most... Important thing to most of us. We give love. We give whatever we are, our time. That just flows out of us. But one of the key areas that Jesus talked about about money, then he did hell, by the way, if you think it's not important. Well, once they surrendered to Christ, they could trust Paul. Wow, that's really different. What a novel idea. You have leadership. Oh, wow. Absolutely. But it wasn't it wasn't a blind submission. It was by the will of God. The word will that's used there is the word "telema." Which refers to the fact that it's a result of the will of God. So true giving, which involves one's money, one's total resources, always, always is preceded by one's surrender to the lordship of Christ. It's then and only in that one, only then that one can respond to the leaders God's puts over them. Can't do it before that because He's not trusting men; He's trusting God in man. So grace giving is a true miracle of the human heart that it's affected by Christ living in the believer. All right, Wayne. All right, Wayne, what has this got to do with my marriage? All right, let's look at it. We've learned that giving is an unselfish act, right? Of God's grace working in the heart of a believer. Okay, any of y'all have in-laws? Anybody? Yeah, we call them outlaws, but they're in-laws, right? Okay, let's just say your father-in-law dies. He didn't leave any insurance for your mother-in-law. But there's nobody else in the family that can take care of them. And God says, you're up, big boy. But you haven't gone the route of dying and surrendering and experiencing. And what do we do? Wait a minute. Whoa! I've been saving for a bigger house, and I know which one it is. And as soon as it comes on the market, I've got the money to put. Wait a minute. If I take her on, I can't have what I want in life. You think that doesn't affect your marriage? You think that doesn't affect your marriage? Oh boy. I was in Romania and we had just had a house built for us. It was a big old house. Good. Knight had a had a, a living, I mean a, a fun room, we call those things. Not the living room, but it had one of those, but it had a big, what do you call those dens? Or hmm? great room. Yeah, it was a great big room. It was like 36 <laughs> feet long and about 24 feet wide. It was a big sucker. Had the TV over. Had a beautiful fireplace. Man, we were just a just hardly a half a mile from the church. Maybe maybe just maybe just that much is all. And that's where I was walking that time. And Diana talked to you about one of our sessions when my car broke down. My Jeep that would get you there and never get you back. And I went to Romania, and um, they told me when I got there they said Wayne Costello Glici that was my. The one I worked with, who lived in our church, we I mean, didn't no lived there <laughs> he went to our church and lived on the precept property, and so I knew them because I was a co teacher with K Arthur at precept for fourteen years, and so he he was always they were always right there and he said sitting in it was overseas so so uh, I'll go over there, and, and Costell said, I'm going to walk in the hotel, Wayne. Boy, this sounded so good when we were at Grady's Restaurant in Chattanooga before I ever went. This was under communism days. This is back under Chalcesco. And he said, Wayne, when you come over, and I'm thinking 007, man, I'm going to be James Bond. This is awesome. Until I got on the plane out of Germany, and there was about two of us on the plane, or maybe I was the only one. I had all the flight attendants. I mean, this was not the travel place in the world. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know what, this may not be what I thought it was going to be. You land, and it's a dilapidated airport with guys with machine guns all the way down it, and you see these big uh, booths that they're, some of them are in with bigger machine guns, and it pulls you over, and you get on a dilapidated bus, and they take you, and you have to go through this custom thing, and they, they had some guys there. They strip-searched them. They, they kept them for two days. They Horror stories about how whoever had the badge, you had to really pray that it was the right guy because... They could make your life miserable. Give a guy a badge, and you watch what they'll do with it sometimes. And man, I got over there, and he said, when you get in the hope, boy, and when I went through, I went right through. Matter of fact, he said, they don't have a sense of humor. And I remember standing there, at the, at the, and I filled out the, the little thing of, for coming into the country wrong. I thought it said date of today, but it said birthday. So I put the, <laughs> the date I was born was on the day that I got there. And the guy starts laughing. And then I said, oh, Is anything wrong? He said, You're a little young to travel, aren't you? And I'm thinking, What's he talking about? And he gets to laughing. And I'm thinking, This is not good. They said they don't have a sense of humor. If they laugh, I'm dead. <laughs> and the guy finally just signed the paper to oh, all go on. And he said, This is good. And he went on to the next guy. And so I go out and I start to check my bags. And this guy says, No, he's with me. I did not know that the taxicab drivers were communists and they worked with the Secret Service, and they were the taxi cab drivers. They knew you were coming. I had a visa from Washington, and so they're watching every move you make, and they put me in. So we're riding in the road, and, he, and Costello told me, he said, tell him it's beautiful. It was the ugliest place I've ever been in my life. This cigar-looking trees. I'm thinking, good grief, man. It would look a lot better for you. And we're riding in. I said, boy, it's a beautiful place, and he laughed out loud. And I said, oh, you speak English. He said, no, Russian. <laughs> I'm thinking, this is not going well. We went past a, a statue of linen. I didn't know it was linen. How would I know it was linen? I said, a beautiful statue. And he laughed out loud again. Well, we get to the hotel. I, I get up in my room, and you don't leave the room. By the way, they were watching you on all the rooms you were in. So I'd have to put a towel over it when I'd go take a shower, you know, and, and then when I, I'd get my, my little crackers and tuna fish out, and I'd sit down and put your table up next to the TV and pull the towel off. And I'd say, today... We're having crackers and tuna fish. Would you like to have some? I'm I'm thinking whoever was watching me was probably thinking, who is this idiot? Well, he told me, he said, come down in the lobby. When you come down in the lobby, I'm going to walk in at a certain point in time. Get there early. I was there two hours early. I'm sitting there. And and this one guy standing over behind the counter is just sitting there staring at me. So I just put my arms like that and started staring back at him. And finally he quit. But Costell, when I walk in, said, I'm going to take my sunglasses off. And he said, if I put them back on, everything's fine. But he said, if I put them in my pocket, you stay right where you are, go back to your room, and do not leave until we contact you. I didn't have no idea what was going to happen. So we, so we get there, and, and uh, he, he, he puts his sunglasses off, puts them back on, so I know I can follow him. Can't walk with him. I get to the van, and Dory Vanstone, who some of you know who she is, great missionary, was with us. And I get in, I said, I said Dory! She said, Shh, don't say anything. car's bugged. I good grief, man. So we get to the, this apartment building where everybody lived. Get on an elevator. It's big enough for maybe one and a half persons, and we got all of us in there. It's kind of like, hey. You get to know each other real. And you get up to the floor, and when we get to the room. They open the door and shut the door. And then everybody says, they call me Alan. They never used my first or last name, so I was always Alan. Alan, Alan, you know. And I looked, and here was a little family. Now, we're talking about maybe... 600 square feet in there, maybe, real small. Here was his mother-in-law, his father-in-law, all the children, and they were, all, and I said, I told, I asked Costello, Mia, how come they were all in there? I said, they live here. They take care of one another in our country. Boy, God convicted me of living in that house because Diana's mom and daddy were of bad health, and they couldn't do what they needed to do and couldn't, couldn't support themselves. And so God said to me, right then, when I come home, sell the house. But we had it built. Move out into the county. We found a place It was 25 years old, I think it was, at least that old, and it had a basement that was plumbed, but it hadn't been finished. And I had two missionaries to help me to fix it out. And God said, you cut loose of every bit of that, and you do what I tell you. And I want to tell you something. If you're not surrendered to God and giving, which is unselfish, is not a part of your life, it is definitely messing with your marriage. You can write that down. A giving person is a free person. A giving person is a joyful person. A giving person is a loving person. It's exactly what your wife needs or your husband needs. But it's, it, you can't start there. You've got to start back with key number one, believing and dying and growing. And that's where you're going to start landing. Because all of a sudden, none of this stuff means anything to you anymore. You just want to be sensitive to what God wants on your heart. And that's just one illustration. You can take that in any area you want to take it into. It will definitely, definitely affect your marriage. If there's greed or selfishness there whatsoever, giving is the opposite side of that. That's why it's so important to put in a course like this to learn what God has in store for you in that way. Well, we've learned that what motivated their heart was the Lord. They first gave themselves to the Lord. We've learned that we don't owe anything, but God owns it all. We've learned that accompanying our giving will be His joy, even in the midst of poverty. We've learned that before we ever start thinking about taking out our, giving our money, we need to give ourselves to the Lord. We've learned that it's God's will that we trust those that He has put over us. And we've learned uh, that that definitely affects the triangle as we walk that way towards the Lord. He begins to draw us together. And that giving of money becomes a giving of love and giving of time and giving whatever is needed. You see, it's not just money. Money's just the litmus test. So all that we've taught on believing, dying, growing, trusting, releasing, experiencing leads to giving. So I'm going to say this to you and just encourage you. That's all. If you don't give, and that time, nobody keeps records. I don't know who gives and who doesn't give. But if you don't give, then uh, ask the Lord t- to help you to learn to tithe. I don't want to tell you how God did this with us. <laughs> We've never tithe before in our life. Do you tithe on the net? Do you tithe on the gross? I mean, do you tithe on what you finally get after you pay your bills? I mean, what's the deal here? Well, we finally decided you just tithe on the gross, the whole thing. It's just get. Do that, take care of that first. Well, (laughs) so we, I had a bill of $188.55 that we had to pay every month. I've forgotten what it was on. $188, I remember the exact amount. And here it was like on Thursday, and I was thinking, but I got to put my tithe in. I can't put my tithe in because I don't have $188.55. And this was a real journey for us. I mean, this was a real struggle. So we finally decided we're going to put our tithe in before we question it anymore. We're going to trust God in this thing. So we did. We just started with the tithe. I'm telling you, it's a great place to start, because to me, that's bottom level. Well, we gave it. (laughs) That weekend, I had a wedding and a retreat to do. Now, that's amazing. The retreat was with 15 people, like seven couples and one guy that was leading that group. And then the wedding, what do you get for a wedding? Hi, Wayne. Why why are you late? You know, here's 30 cents. I mean, you don't get anything for a wedding. So I didn't have any means of getting that $188.55, as far as I could understand. So I went to the wedding. It was about like that. Thanks a lot, Wayne. Appreciate you coming. And I, I did the retreat. And when I finished the retreat, they gave, they took up an offering. <laughs> and it was just to pay for gas, I guess. And they gave me dollars and, and nickels and quarters and dimes and put it in a sack. I've never had this happen before. And I took that sack and I said, God bless you. Thank you so much. I mean, this may the Lord be with you. So I couldn't wait to count that money. I got in the car. And I went just out of sight. It was at night. And I had to turn the light on. And you know those cars? That light doesn't help you a whole lot. But I laid down in the seat because it didn't have that divider back there. It was a long time ago. And so I laid down in the seat and I poured that money out on, on the floorboard there. And I started picking out pennies and dimes and nickels. And I started putting them in dollars. And I finally counted it down. And it was $188.55 to the penny. And it's like God said, excuse me, you have any more questions here, Wayne. <laughs> and I didn't have cell phones. We couldn't call. We couldn't call back. We had no cell phone. Well, this, this got us kicked into gear. All of a sudden we're thinking, man, you give, you can't outgive God, but I have to be real careful with this. Remember, it's not an investment program. And every believer that I know of starts off that way. And it seems like God does those kinds of things to encourage you, but look out, it can't become that. Because if you, if you one of these days, you'll give it and there's nothing going to come back. But you will start noticing a richer relationship with your spouse. So which would you rather have? Anyway, I remember my mother gave me $50. In fact, Diana shared that last time, but she didn't tell you the rest of the story. Guy came by and it was a campus crusade and said, can you help me? And I said, no, I, I don't have anything to give. Wait a minute. My mama sent me $50 for my birthday. And this was like a month later. Every time I'd pull it out to use it, God said, don't you dare. It's not yours. And I said, I got a $50 bill. And that was amazing to have one of those. And I gave it to, to this guy. Well, that afternoon, they called us and said, Listen, we want you to go to Jackson, Mississippi with us. We were in Mississippi. And uh, so they came by and picked us up in this nice Oldsmobile. I parked my Buick down at the church. It was 73 Buick. And I hated that car. I'd leave the keys in it so people could steal it and leave the <laughs> windows down. It overheated everywhere you'd go. So they, we rode down in this nice, comfortable, beautiful car, and air conditioning. And we got down there, and they, after we finished our meal, they said, we want to buy your wife something. So they went, took her off and into a mall there and bought her a purse. And when she came back, she whispered in my ear. She said, Wayne, that purse costs $25. And I thought to myself, this is just what God has to put up with. I'm thinking, where's the other 25 Man, I gave 50 <laughs> So we got home. <laughs> we got home, and up there's my car sitting there with the windows rolled down and the keys in it. Nobody had taken it. And I got there and I opened up the door. And when I got in, the visor was hanging down, which never hangs down. And I banged my head on it. I'm thinking, oh, good grief. Man, this thing's falling apart. And then I looked. There was something pinned to the visor. This is before God. There were two tens and a $5 bill pinned to the visor with a note that said, Wayne, we just want to let you know we love you. And God told us to stop by here and put this in your, in your car. I don't know where you are. And I'm thinking, oh, son, and the adventure had begun. You know who got me started on that adventure? The Lord did it. It was Dave Eustace sitting right back there. I was, in, I was out in Houston, I think it was, if it was your dad, I can't remember where we were. But he started telling me about what giving really is. Not an investment program, not a guilt program. But we don't, God doesn't need it, but we desperately need it because it frees us up. There's no self involved in giving. And when you're giving and you're free in that, you think that doesn't affect your marriage? Man, next time you sit down to do your, I guarantee you the one who does the bills is having the big trouble right now with what I'm saying. Because the other one, whoo, let's (laughs) give. And you struggle with it. And every time you hear it from the pulpit, oh no, it's another preacher talking about money. I guarantee you, because I know I felt the same way. But I want to tell you, when you start on that journey and get rid of self and everything self wants, God begins to flood things into your life. I I had a guy call me one day and said, I need to have an appointment with your pastor. Well, I talked to my secretary when I was in Chattanooga. I said, I need to talk to him on Thursday morning about 10 o'clock. He's a lawyer. And I'm thinking, oh, no, they're either suing me or the church or something. And so I showed up down there and he walks in three piece suit, got his tie on and he was smiling. And that's not a good sign. And he had papers with him, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what a, and he said, uh, I said, what's what's going on? And she said, can you come outside with me just for a second? We walked outside, and it was was raining, walked out in the rain, I looked up and saw the nicest looking pickup truck I'd ever seen in my life, and hooked up to behind, it was a Stratus bass boat, 18 foot, had 150 V6 on the back of that thing, had the platforms on it and everything, I'm thinking, that is one beautiful boat. And he said, yeah, I know. And he said, that's why I've come today. (laughs) How many times I've tried to get a boat. We almost divorced over an anchor one time on a boat I (laughs) I mean, I had tried and tried. I got a boat and tried to pay for it, and I couldn't. had to sell it. And I said, what? And he said, a guy sitting in your service Sunday morning said God told him to give it to you, and you can never know who it is. And he said, all you've got to do is sign this. I said, what does this mean? He said that you won't sell it or give it away like you give everything else away for at least three years. I said, twist my arm. (laughs) You don't give for that reason. But what I'm trying to tell you is everything that we're pursuing and saving and putting strings on is the very thing that's ripping us apart in our families. It's self, and that's all it is, and it's pitiful. And when you start giving yourself to the Lord, cutting it loose, you're on the journey of your life that you have no idea about. But you don't start there. You have to go through, you have to understand it's got to be a surrender because it's not an investment program, it's not a gimmick, it's not a guilt trip. It's God (laughs) taking care of you. When I was at Wooden Park, we... uh, had a $250,000 shortfall one year. <laughs> I thought that was a lot until I came here. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, uh, and, the, and the guys came to me and said, Wayne, get up in the pulpit and whatever you do, hammer them, buddy, because they need to give. And I said, I will not do that. I said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, just come see. I got them all together, 1,500 or so each service, and I, I said, listen, we need to get down on our knees right now because we've got a situation here and we need to ask our father about it and I don't really know what to do and would you pray with me and if you can get down on your knees, would you get down with me? We all got down on our knees and I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. told him the need. I did a second service. Well, they came back that night to see if it'd come in. (laughs) Did it work? No. And they said, see, we told you if you'd have got up there and hammered him and I'd have given it. Monday went by, Tuesday went by. Wednesday, the guy called me and said, Wayne, I need to talk to you in the morning about 8 o'clock. His name was on most of the drugstores in town. And I'm thinking, hmm, this could be interesting. He said, I need to do something, and I need you to be there. And I said, okay, I'll be there at 4 if you want me to. So I showed up and had one of my leaders with me. We're standing there. He walks up the steps, smiling, grinning from ear to ear. And he said, uh, I need, I've already written the check out. And he said, I've got to sign this. He wouldn't doubt let me see it. He'd keep jerking it away from me and write down and handed it to my leader. Didn't even give it to me. And walked out and said, I'm going to Texas to bird hunt. And I'm thinking, that's nice from Chattanooga. He walks downstairs. And I'm thinking, how long is it going to take him to get to that car? Because if if I think this check is what I think it is, if it's what I think it is, I don't want him to his windows to go out when I start yelling because it's going to be loud. And finally, I couldn't stand it. I grabbed that check out. We needed $250,000. He had written a check for $500,000. We called the bank so fast to make your head swim. I didn't want him to change his mind. I wanted to make sure it was good. And while we were jumping up and down upstairs, the church treasurer downstairs called upstairs and said, you won't believe what just happened down here. And I said, you won't believe what just happened up here. And she said, we just had some stock that was given for $106,000. And God had given us 606000 It was either six hundred six or 610000 before you can blink an eye. And what he was saying is, you see, people like that, that man when he died, by the way, never told me. I found out later on when he died, talking to his daughter at the funeral home, and she said he really loved giving you that bass boat. I had never known who it was. And I thought, that's the miracle of grace giving. You can't teach that, you can't guilt it, you can't make it happen. It happens when people. Cut the strings and say, Jesus be Jesus in me, no longer me but thee. Resurrection power, fill me this hour. Jesus be Jesus in me. I'm sick of tying the strings to the stuff in this world. God, live in me and through me. And take care of me, because I'm going to trust you. And loving Him, cast out all fear. And the Macedonians had it, but the Corinthians. Didn't have a clue. So what I'm trying to say is, your marriage, when you get a free giving spirit in your marriage, not frivolous, but as the Lord directs, you're going to see joy and love. You're going to see things disappear because it's not important anymore. And God starts drawing you closer and closer and closer. And whatever you need, he provides. Well, Diana, I have no idea what you're going to say, but come on. <laughs> oh you got time
2: well, I'm concerned about the ones that have
1: no they got 30 minutes <laughs> oh the microphone I'm sorry I didn't giggle. forgot all about it okay there you go
2: we were talking the other morning and this group you folks know us better than anyone in the whole church and, and we have just delighted in coming to be with you. And we look forward to every Wednesday. And we just thank you for your attention. We thank you for your attendance. And, um, and we just thank you that you can share with us in our delight of serving Jesus Christ. Right. Thank you. That was an awesome message. Thank you so much. And um, I was reminded of what Jesus said in John 10:10, 10, 10, where he said, "I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly." And we have some young couples in here, and I know for ourselves, we, the financial aspect of our life has always been um, it's been tough at times. And um, I just want to share with you that I am so grateful in my heart that you take such good care of us here, and we're so blessed. And last year, we—I'm going to share what we did last year. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, you got the floor. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> I <ain't> got it. <laughs> Go
1: ahead. That's... You can just do whatever. All right. Okay. <laughs>
2: Okay, <laughs> I have to go home with him later, but um, <laughs> I thought I better give him a heads up. We're not, we are not uh, gifted in how to do money or invest you know you you hear on TV some of you may be like that in here but you don't have to raise your hand and and, uh, share your ignorance (laughs) with everybody else but um, we we don't understand stocks and bonds and we don't understand investing and and all of that and we're just not we're not gifted like that and our son Stephen is an amazing young man he he can figure out taxes and amortization on on your mortgage and all of this and he's always calling saying oh mom you and dad need to do this and this, and, and, it's, and it's like, oh, my goodness. And I, I, and Stephanie, our daughter, says, Mom, he can do the, the numbers in his head. He can add up big numbers in his head, and it's amazing to us because we're not gifted in that area. Well, last year before tax time came, prior to that, um, my sister's husband, precious young man, Um, They've adopted six children. Um, They lost, her husband lost his job and got a job and then he lost it again because he was in the mortgage business. And um, my brother uh, was a college basketball coach and he lost his job because the school was suffering uh, economically and they thought if they get rid of him they could hire a younger man and pay him less and then they could survive in the sports area so um we had we had great needs, and we knew there were needs in our family and we didn't have the money um, to to um, just write a check and send to them, but we did have um, a a certain small amount in a retirement fund, so we prayed and we knew that you know. Y- If you listen to Susie Orman on Saturday night, she says that's the worst thing you can do is ever draw money from your retirement. But I thought, well, you know, you you have to pay the taxes on it when you pull it out. But what we didn't know is then you pay taxes because it's added to your income. So it raised the tax bracket. So we um, last uh, April, was it on the 14th or the 15th? I think it was the 15th, our tax guy that lives in Reno, because he, he's a good friend of ours, and, and he always does our taxes for us, he he told Wayne, he said, I, he emailed him and said, I, I called you, but I'm glad I didn't get you, <laughs> but I'm emailing you to let you know that you owe such and such an amount uh, because of the withdrawal from the retirement fund. Well, that just... Oh, um, my heart fell in my stomach, and yours probably did, too, and we didn't know what we were going to do. So we put it on a credit card. That's the only way we could pay the taxes on the date that, that instead of paying a penalty for not paying them on time. And um, this past year has been a very, very tight year, and we won't be out of it as far as my calculations go until about next March, about a year from now. And, um, and that, that really threw me because I really didn't understand why that had to happen, but it was our own ignorance because we just didn't understand how, when you pull money out from retirement, what that can do. But God has been so faithful to us this year. He's been so faithful to us and we, we've had so much wonderful time at home. We've hardly done anything this year, because <laughs> when you know you have to pay a certain debt, you've got to pay it. And and we've had meals at home, and I've learned to cook again. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and and Wayne has had a wonderful time. And, um, you know, it's, it's because God has blessed our marriage, because we sought to be obedient to him and the things of dying to ourself and, and just allowing him to be Lord of our lives. Um, He's blessed us so richly in relationship. And, um, And I'm so grateful. And we walk around our house all the time, or when we go to bed, or at breakfast, or whatever, and we just say, we're so blessed. And we just say, Lord, thank you that you've blessed us so much. And we are rich in Jesus Christ. So I wanted to share that side with you, because you may think well, you know the barbers have gone through that, and they're old people now, so they probably haven't made but but we we understand, especially some of you young couples, and when you have little children at home and there's a an emergency at the emergency room and and you have to take them there and and um, they grow out of their shoes and their clothes, and it's like you have a lot going on, and we do understand that, but our God is faithful, and if we continue to do as he's called us to do and ask us to do um, we can really trust him because he is so trustworthy. Well, I just wanted to share that before I get started, and then what I have to share will go real quickly. Um, I'm going to tell you a story about uh, something that happened to me at McDonald's in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and um, I don't know how much of this I've shared with you, but I'll I'll share this real quickly so we can go, but I had surgery when I was 35 years of age, and it was a, it, it, my body didn't um, respond to it well, and I had a very hard time recovering, and, and I was in bed four months after the surgery while our children were in junior high and high school, and Wayne had to do it all at home, and um, we had people bring food by and, and all, and um, and it was just the Lord graciously took care of us, And uh, but Wayne, I, I don't know except for the grace of God, you wouldn't have made it through that time, because I barely made it myself, but he took the kids to ball games, cheerleading practice, and school, and and he was um, preaching Sunday morning service at church and Sunday night service. Um, he taught at Precept Ministries on Tuesday night and studied with Spiros Zodi- zodiates four days a week, and um, it would kill him now, but <laughs> he was young and able at that point. So... Um, <laughs> So God brought those, that trial our way. But, um, so I, every morning, after he would take the kids to school, he would go to McDonald's and bring me a biscuit and coffee and i just loved it i just loved it it was like that was the greatest way he could have ministered to me and shown and expressed his love to me at that time and i've never forgotten it and it's still a thing with us um if he's home uh, his friday is his study day at home and so he'll usually get up before i do and go to mcdonald's and come and and wake me up and say breakfast is here and and it's just the most romantic thing to me he could ever do and i just love you for that wayne and um, so I have t- uh, the first story real quickly is a funny story, and then I'll tell you the serious one. Um, one morning, um, when our kids were teens, they were you know when they get in the getting that teen year, they don't want to go with mom and dad anymore. They just would rather not be seen with you <laughs> at times. And uh, Wayne was uh, he would go out on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and fly in on Saturday evening to preach on Sunday, and um, so I would get up on Saturday morning, and I would go to McDonald's myself, and I would always take my Bible, and I would read, and I had a book this one particular day, and um, this guy, my windows were rolled down, it was in the spring of the year, and this guy walked up to my window and it it frightened me and <coughs> and in the south people don't really say the words like you you speak properly out here and and we're amazed <laughs> <laughs> at how you do that but um this guy came up and he said now listen real carefully you won't know what he said he said um what you reading <laughs> like what are you reading he said what you reading like that and I said I, I was shaky I know and I said uh, a book on how to walk with Jesus Christ and he said Huh? Like that? And I said, "A book on how to walk with Jesus Christ." And he said, "Have a good day, ma'am." <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what his intent was, but because I was reading a book on Jesus Christ, he was not interested anymore. <laughs> so now I'm about to tell you about another story, <clears throat> and then we'll close this with this. Many years ago, on a Friday evening, I turned on the TV, and one of my very favorite people in all the world is Billy Graham, and you could probably say, "Amen." Um, those of you that are near my age, um, you grew up watching him preach to thousands upon thousands of people on TV. And, the, and I love to watch the old crusades. Do you ever get that on TV? Um, I just love it when he was a younger man and he, he just taught so beautifully. And, and I like to see what the people were wearing and in the 50s. And I watched the show the other night in 1958. And um, it was such a remarkable message that he gave. Well, on TV this particular night, about 20, maybe 22 years ago, I saw him walking uh, among throngs of people. And I could tell that it wasn't America because of the buildings that were there. And he was on his way to the building, to this church where he would be preaching that night. And this was under communist rule and the Romanian government had invited him to come, which I was very surprised (coughs) that they did that. And um, he was walking, and he had a long robe on that they'd probably given him to teach, uh, to preach in that service. And um, the people were, there were young men in trees and, and uh, standing on blocks of bricks and, um, or, or heights of bricks, and they were clapping and cheering, and it was as if he knew that they were cheering him. And the humble man that he is, he took his Bible and he held it up as he walked through the streets of Romania as if to say, don't praise me, praise the God who sent me here to you. And um, he began, He went inside and the windows were open and it was just standing room only. And you could hear him on the, the system, the, the sound system outside. And um, he was giving them this message and he taught out of Mark 10 verse 46. And I'll just read it to you real quickly. And they came, Jesus and his disciples, came to Jericho. And this was right before he was going to be crucified. And as he was going out from Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, some of you are turning, that's that's Mark 10, verse 46. And when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And, you know, those that are unlike us, even in Christian circles, sometimes they can just be, oh, be quiet. You know, look how you dress. Look how you look. Just go sit on the back row. Jesus was not like that, and neither should we be. And, um, And many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, arise. He is calling for you. And casting aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Teacher, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. What uh, Billy Graham shared that night, he said, um, in some translations, it says Jesus was passing by. Jesus passed by Jericho. Jesus passed by the blind man. Those of us that are believers, Jesus has passed by in our life and in our lives today, and that's why we're different. We're not the same as we used to be, and he said now, after he shared his message he said now tomorrow when you go into your workplace or when you go out to do the things that you do and you see people you're to have the thought in your mind and in your heart that Jesus Christ lives within you and you're an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ and he said what I want you to do is when you go you realize that Jesus Christ is passing by he's looking at this particular individual when you when you smile at him um, just know that it's Jesus Christ's eyes that are looking through you to him. And when you embrace her, just know that it's the arms of Christ that are reaching out and embracing her. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Sometimes we just sit back and we think, oh, I don't have a ministry. I'm a Christian. I know I'm supposed to serve Christ, but I don't know how. But this is how, this is how that we're doing this. So I went to, that was a Friday evening. I went to McDonald's the next morning. I drove in and as I went this way, I saw this big tractor trailer truck and, it, and and fire trucks were there. And and I thought, well, the truck must have caught on fire. So I went right by, turned left, went in through the drive-through, got my, my coffee and my biscuit. Are you hungry? <laughs> and, uh, and I came on around and then I went back and I went right into my place so where I would usually sit so I could see everything that was going on. And um, I looked in my rear view mirror and I, I had just eaten, and I had opened my Bible, and there in my rearview mirror, I saw a man and a lady and a little boy. And I, I thought, oh, that must be the people that were in that truck, because they were standing there talking to the firemen. And um, the Lord brought to my mind that I was his ambassador, and I needed to go tell those people that Jesus was passing by and see if there was anything he that they needed from me and how I could help them. Well, I was like, oh Lord, I don't even know who they are. They're going to think I'm strange or weird or, or whatever, and so I, I, I couldn't get it off my mind. I kept looking in the rearview mirror, and it was in December, and it was cold out, and I thought, you know, that, that little boy might need to be inside the car where it's warm, so I got out of my car, and I went over to them, and I felt very strange, but I was empowered by God, and I said to them, I watched Billy Graham on TV last night, and he wanted me as a believer to go and tell people that I am an ambassador of Jesus Christ and that he is passing your way because he lives within me. Is there anything I can do to help you? And the lady, it was a small little lady, I found out later they were from Canada, and they had come with their, their husband and the dad on the trip, and she grabbed me and hugged me so tightly. I, I had never been hugged like that. I thought she was going to lift me up off the floor, off the ground, and, and here she was right here, and um, she said, um, I've just been reading a book by Katherine Marshall where it says, uh, in, in the title of the book is, In Everything, Give Thanks. And she said, we had just pulled in here, and we were going to run in and have a restroom break, and we were going to get our food and, and come back to the truck. And she said, our little boy had just gone to sleep. He was four years old. And I thought, you know, we'll lock the, lock the truck. It'll be fine for him to, to be in here. And then suddenly it was like in her heart the, the Lord spoke to her and said, you take him with you. From the time they went in to do what I told you they needed to do and got back out, the whole front part of their truck was on fire. And she said if we had left our son in here, he would have burned up. And and he would have caught on fire and possibly died. And so I said, well, why don't you and your little boy come and get in my car? And the dad was still working with the the fireman. And um, she got in the car and she said, I cannot believe the goodness of God. And she said, "My husband is not a believer, and I think God is going to use this to touch his heart because he has a hardness in his heart towards God." And so, I um, while I was in there, it was at Christmas time, and Wayne had given me some cash to go start Christmas shopping for the children. And um, I said, "Well, um, I have this, and and you may have it." and um, I got a letter from her later on, and um, she told me, she said everything, all of our personal items burned up, her toothbrush, toothpaste, the toiletries that we needed, our pajamas, and uh, the clothing that we had, and and she said, my my little boy, especially for his pajamas and clothes, and she said, I was able to go to the store before we headed out, and uh, I was able to purchase some things to get us back on our way, and um, she wrote a letter, after she'd gotten home in Canada and she said, my husband is still not a believer, but God really touched him that day that you came our way. And um, I just, I, I asked the guy, I said, is there any, do you want me to take you anywhere? And he said, well, in East Ridge, Tennessee was about 20 minutes from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, he said, I need to go over there because that's my company that I'm connected with in Canada. And he said, they're going to give me a new um, truck cabin to pull my load so I took them there and and I, I was really afraid and when I had stepped out of the car to ask him if this was his truck I, the words that came out of my mouth I said is this your rig <laughs> and it was like I thought I've never said that word of my life and here I am
0: <laughs> talking like
2: a truck driver and so I had to take him and his wife and little boy in the car with me over to the place where he was to pick up the cab uh, part of his truck. And, um, and it was like I was so nervous because here's a professional truck driver riding in my back seat, and I'm trying to drive him on the freeway. But um, I just wanted to share that with you as um, part of, you know, giving. Yes, God gave me some cash on hand that I usually didn't have to be able to give because God knew I was going to meet that couple. And God knew that they needed to hear that Jesus was passing by their way. And folks, every one of you in here probably tomorrow will come in contact with someone else. And I I just pray that you could hear the words that I heard that night that God spoke through Billy Graham. And um, that Jesus is passing by. And the things that we've shared in here, I, I know it's been a strange kind of a thing for a marriage course, and uh, maybe we should have named it a little differently, but these are the things that God has used in our lives to change us and to give us the abundant life that he has given us. Now, some of you are in here, and some of you are by yourself, and it may be difficult to hear some of these things because um, your spouse may not be into these things, and, um, and that would be a hard journey. And I pray for you in that. But I I just want you to know that God, since you have heard this, then he leaves you responsible for just dying to your flesh, even if you're the female. And if your husband is not the spiritual leader of your home, you just die to your way and just say, Lord, with everything in me, I yield it all to you. Would you enable me to walk this walk with you that I might be a reflection of Jesus to my husband or to my wife? And... um, it is the best life, and I, I would encourage you, if you are struggling financially, usually in a marriage, there's one that's a spender and one that's a saver. Um, do you have that? Do you, do you notice that? And, and that's why you have conflict, but um, if you saved everything, then nobody would have any fun in life, and if you spent everything, then there wouldn't be anybody that you couldn't, you couldn't even pay your house payments, so maybe you could sit down as a couple this weekend, and just say, you know, let's look at this. Let's look at what we owe and, and look at what's going on in our marriage. And, and, um, and if you've been inspired by what Wayne shared tonight, um, then you can just say, we want to give. And we want to give as unto the Lord as when he leads. But if you're full of debt, um, you can't do that. You just can't do it. And a man told me once, and I close with this, that if you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. And if you're using your credit cards to get by, you must stop. And um, it took you a long time, maybe, like we were once. It took us a long time to get in debt. It took us a long time to get out. And um, you just kind of, you can't ever say in your Christian walk, well, here we are, we've arrived. No more problems, no more troubles. All the money we have, God, I don't know if God ever allows that because he wants us to depend upon him and keep trusting in him. God bless you. We love you all so much.
1: I well, it's been a wonderful journey. We sat down at our kitchen table and said, what in the world are we going to do for a marriage course? And so we just started talking about what God has had to teach us and giving in a marriage course. And It dawned on us, that's what set us free. Just stop pursuing stuff and just start pursuing him. Do we always do it? No, nah, I'm, the, I'm the culprit. But God will keep bringing us around, just keep bringing us back and brings you back to where you departed. So hopefully it's been a blessing to you. And uh, just remember, guarantee you, you'll be tested in this area before probably 24 hours goes by. But uh, remember, it's not emotional. It's not an investment program. It's not a guilt trip. It's a response that comes from Christ living in you. That's all it is. And start wherever you start. I said I suggested tithing. May God may say, don't start there, start here. I don't, I don't know. I'm, there's two absolutes in life. One is there is a God, and two is I'm not him. (laughs) We're on this journey together. So hopefully it's been a blessing to you.
2: For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.